Right. Good morning. Thanks, Nick. Well, uh, as we begin our our time uh, here as part of the message, or before actually, I guess I really jump into it. Um, I want to recognize that today is September 11th, and amazing that it's been 21 years uh, since that fateful day. And so. Um, I just want us to pause and to kind of collectively pray um, before I go further into my message. Father, um, as we think about what happened uh, 21 years ago, um, we're reminded that um, there is still evil in the world. And we look forward to the day when you will put all evil, all destruction to an end. And um, Lord, we think especially of those who, for whom this is a difficult day, that you would comfort them for any and all who lost loved ones on that day. Would you be um, the God of all mercy and the Father of all comforts to them? And we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever in your life had unmet expectations? Have you you taken a job, uh, chosen a career path, gone to work for a company, and it didn't quite live up to what you were expecting? Have you ever been in a relationship where the other person didn't meet your expectations. Has there ever been a a movie, TV show, a book that everybody, it's like everybody you run into is raving about this movie, book, or show, and you watch it or read it, and you're like, I don't get it. What was the big deal? Have you ever gone to a conference or a seminar, and you thought, this is it. This is going to be the thing that's going to get me to where I want to go. And then it wasn't. For, for me, last year, I went to the Vineyard National Conference. I went and I had two big expectations. That I'd have this profound encounter with God, and I'd get to hang out uh, with two really good friends of mine who were also going to be there. I got to hang out with one of the friends. So those expectations I had were not met. A wise person um, that, I, that I know is fond of saying expectations our premeditated disappointment. Now, I think there's wisdom there. There's a lot of wisdom there. But there's something that doesn't quite sit right with me. And our, our small group just finished going through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in this book, they talk about expectations. And, one of the, and I love this. This helped, helped me realize why that statement about expectations being premeditated premeditated disappointment didn't sit right. Because they talked about expectations, we should be conscious of them. They should be uh, realistic, spoken, and agreed upon. I thought, that's it. That's really helpful. And I have uh, an experience in my life where I realized my wife did this for me. Early on in our marriage, I think uh, probably about three years in, I'm pretty sure our, our oldest son had been born. Uh, I think it was coming up to her birthday. She goes, 
I know there's going to be time. We don't have a whole lot of money right now. There's going to be other times we don't have much money. I'm not expecting a gift every, every time. But three days a year, I want flowers. My birthday, Mother's Day, and our anniversary. I was like, yes, thank you. It was realistic. It was spoken. She said it out loud. I didn't have to read her mind. That was amazing. She was conscious of it, and I agreed. I'm like, yep, I can do that. Now, hold on to this, what I'm saying about expectations. I'll come back to this briefly. Uh, Nick mentioned about how we have our weekly email. We, we have social media. If you pay attention to those things, you'll notice we very rarely advertise the upcoming message uh, for Sunday morning. That's intentional, but we rarely do that. I think we missed an opportunity. I think we should have actually advertised this morning's message. This place would be packed, not because of the present speaker, because of, because of the content the topic. We'd have the most people watching online that we've ever had. You're happy to be here this morning. You didn't know that, but you're, you're really happy to be here. Because this morning, we're talking about humility. Yay. Yes. Our culture loves humility and so highly values it. You, let's just look around the country. Our politicians have it in spades. Our CEOs have, have humility more than anything else. Celebrities ooze humility more than charisma. And obviously, pastors have more humility than anybody else. That wasn't the punchline. Uh, what's All right. The only thing, the only thing in my life that I'm proud of is my humility. That's my one humility joke. That's my go-to. Yeah, thank you. You can use it if you want. I know last week, Randy played Earth, Wind, and Fire September. This morning, I probably should have played Carly Simon's You're So Vain. <laughs> now, all right, side note. So if you're the person that Carly wrote that about, are you really vain? I mean, because if the song's written about you and you think it's written about you, it, but anyway. The, that's the hard-hitting content you come here for. That's what keeps me up at night. Surprisingly, there are not many songs written about humility. Most of them that there are are written by Christians. So coming back to expectations. Here's what I hope is our expectation this morning. Is that you not walk away feeling miserable about yourself. This is a quality for all of us to grow in. And we, I hope that we all feel some level of, of conviction, but not that the, we're the worst person that's ever lived. That's not true humility. I hope that the Holy Spirit shines a light in our lives for us to see where we have opportunity to grow. Because that's conviction. Conviction is an invitation to grow more into who God has created us to be. And I hope that he especially shows us areas where we think we have humility, but it's actually pride. So we're in a series going through the Songs of Ascents. Now, these are a collection of psalms by the same name, Songs of Ascents. And they were recited three times a year as faithful Israelites went on pilgrimage from wherever they lived in Israel up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, to celebrate um, 
festivals and holidays. And uh, it was they're a reminder that we, we bring all of who we are to God. All these psalms deal with a, a variety of emotions and life circumstances. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 131. And so if you are able to do so, I invite you to stand as we've been doing. And we're going to read this psalm together, Psalm 131. And that will be up on the screen Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to just pray again for this uh, message. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we, I just, I pray over each one of us who is hearing um, this this morning, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have uh, for us that any and all kingdom seeds would find a place in fertile soil to be received and watered and to produce fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The big takeaway for this morning that I want us to remember above everything else is that humility is the true ascent. So as I just said, these songs of ascents, they're about going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. But the true ascent is through humility. This shows the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, that the way up to worship the Lord is the way down of humility. We go up by growing in humility. Now, this psalm we read is one of the shortest psalms in this collection. It's only three verses. Now, I don't know if it's the shortest exactly, because I would have to count the number of words, and I didn't want to do that. But regardless, it's short, and that seems appropriate, given the content, because there's something incongruous about a lot of words on a topic like humility. Speaking of irony, this psalm seems ironic with how it starts. David declares, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. That doesn't seem very humble, because when somebody declares how humble they are, we get rightly suspicious. But what I think David is doing here is he's declaring how he has set his heart. He's declaring to himself that he's on the path to humility. He's saying to himself that he's a humble person, and eventually he's going to live up to that. 
Now the parts of himself, the physical parts that David appeals to are his heart and his eyes. Because the heart is the seat of the person. Everything starts here. That's why Jesus says in Luke 6.45 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now within the, the scriptures, the eyes speak to desire. So in Matthew 6.22, Jesus says that the, the eyes are the lamp of the body. Proverbs 27.20 says that our eyes are never satisfied. We look around and see all the things that we want. That's why we can spend hours on Amazon adding things to our wish list. That we can scroll on Instagram endlessly because we're never going to watch all the videos. Same with YouTube. And that's why porn gets so addictive because our, our eyes are never satisfied. There's always more to have, to do, or to see. And so David's setting a limit for his eyes. He elaborates on this first sentence by saying he doesn't get involved with things too great or too wondrous for him. He's not saying, I don't think about difficult things. And he's not saying, don't think too much or exert yourself too much. Rather, he's talking about contentment. He's exposing a, the discontented life. This is why he compares himself to a weaned child on its mother's lap. Now, this metaphor seems a little odd. But the word weaned could also mean content. And either way, I think it's the same idea. Because when we see a full or a weaned child sitting with his mother, his or her mother, they are very different from a child who wants to eat who wants to nurse. A nursing child has no sense of decorum. I have yet, we had five nursing kids. I have yet to see a nursing child take his or her mother by the hands, look in their eyes and say, mom, how are you? Are you hungry? Are you tired? Is there anything I can do for you? I want to eat, but before we do, what can I do for you? They're Veruca Salt times 100. I want an Oompa Loompa and I want it now, Daddy. It's the only thing that matters to them. A child who wants to nurse and one who has a full belly are two totally different people. The, the full or, or weaned child sits there happy to be playing, smiling, laughing, spitting up on himself, and not a care in the world. A wean child is happy to sit with his or her mom and be comforted by her presence and nearness. So again, David's using this as a picture of humility. To sit in a mother's presence, full, content, without a care in the world. I think the popular Christian understanding one of them, of humility is self-abasement. 
that for us to be humble or to be on the path to humility, we have to talk about how horrible we are. We think that the, the New Testament says things about humility that it doesn't say or that it means something than what I think the author intended. For example, in Romans 12, Paul says that nobody should think more highly of themselves than they ought. But he's talking about every single believer has gifts. We, all, we, we need one another's gifts to grow in Christ. He's also talking about the major ethnic differences between Jews and Gentiles. And everybody in Christ and apart from Christ has the same position before God, regardless of your ethnic background. Or when Paul tells Timothy that he's the worst of all sinners, he's not being humble, he's being truthful. He was murdering Christians. That's really bad. So he goes from murdering a group of people to arguably the, the greatest leader. That's a significant promotion. That's humbling. He knows something about grace and mercy. I think another popular misconception that we often have in the church about humility is to think that we need to be a doormat for others. There are times from a place of truly loving people, God's love in and through us, that we lay down our desires and our rights for somebody else. But that doesn't mean we don't ever express our desires or utilize the rights that we have. Now, this is, I don't have time to talk through all the possible scenarios, but sometimes, sometimes I'd argue the most loving, humble thing to do is to say to somebody, I can't stop you from going where you want to go or doing what you want to do, but I'm not going to go there with you. Humility and boundaries, they are not at odds with one another. Humility, I would argue, is that we are content and at peace when someone is mad at us for putting up a boundary that we're not allowing them to cross. We can be a content child on our mother's lap when someone is upset with us. So again, humility is not thinking we're the worst person ever or being a doormat for everybody else. So to shift kind of the, the definition a little more positively, it's the opposite of pride. This is where David's first words in the psalm come back in. When he's saying his, his heart isn't proud and his eyes aren't haughty. So kind of a broad stroke biblical definition of pride is thinking that we know better than God. David can say that his, his uh, heart is not proud and his eyes aren't haughty because he's decided to live according to God's instruction. And if we look at his life, we see examples of this. When he steps up to fight Goliath, He's not trusting in himself. He's trusting that the Lord is with him and is going to give him victory. Then in response to his incredibly prideful act of um, 
having an affair and then having uh, Uriah murdered, when David's confronted, his first response is to repent. That's humility. Again, pride is thinking that any rules don't apply to us. I really enjoy uh, living in Indianapolis. This may sound a bit strange. One of my favorite things is actually the way people drive. Yeah, here's why. Because in Chicago, when we lived there, people drove fast and they were rude. In Cincinnati, they drive slow, but they're polite. Here, for the most part, people drive fast and they're polite. It's the best of both worlds. It's the best, best of both worlds. Two things, two things I don't get, though. Red lights are a suggestion, and school speed limits, also a suggestion. I don't get it. People fly through red lights like you had time to stop, or they're just tired of waiting. So it's like, I'll, I'll make a left turn here. I don't get it, but that, that's pride. Thinking red lights and school speed limits don't apply to us. More positively, definition of humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. I'll say that again. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. To borrow the title of one of Tim Keller's books, it is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. I say this because even the person who downplays him or herself is still thinking about themselves a lot because they're comparing themselves to other people. They're talking about how they don't measure up, how maybe others don't value them, how they see all their flaws. So again, the focus is still on the self. Now, this, is, this doesn't mean we don't lose ourselves or that our personal desires uh, don't matter. It's about, I'm not the focal point of me. It's about being able to enjoy others or God's presence without concern about how I'm being perceived. Humility is wanting others to experience any good thing that I've experienced. A couple of examples from the scriptures. Moses was referred to as the most humble person alive uh, when, when he was on earth. And there's this moment where God pours out his spirit on some other elders to help Moses carry the burden of leading the people. And there, all these people were supposed to gather together in the same place, but two of them didn't come. And the Holy Spirit still was poured out on those guys, even though they weren't a part of the group. And Joshua gets all upset about this. Like, Moses, they have the Holy Spirit. we got to stop them. And Moses is like, no, I want everybody to have the Holy Spirit. That's an example of a good thing that we've experienced, wanting others to experience it. Jesus, the most humble person who has ever lived, he wanted us to do greater things than he did. He wants his joy to be in us so that our joy may be complete. He equipped the disciples to do what he did, and he said, oh, by the way, do that for other people. 
That's one area of humility. Another, how do we respond to correction? When someone notices something about us and we feel exposed, how do we respond? Let's be honest, at times it feels like a slap in the cheek. Do we want to slap back? Do we dismiss it because the person of who the person is or how they said it? This is where I'm susceptible. I'm, I'm quick to dismiss correction because of the person or how they brought it up. Do we want to point out their flaws? So are we only willing to accept correction from perfect people? Or are we able to thank them in the midst of that pain and to prayerfully ask the Lord what's from him? That's where I want to be. I'm not there yet, but that's where I want to be. A third way that we can see humility is how do we handle being wrong and being right? So the previous example was about something within our character, somebody addressing our character. But how do we respond when a decision that we've made doesn't work out? Are we quick to blame others or circumstances? Or are we able to admit we made a wrong choice and that we chose to ignore the evidence because we wanted a certain outcome? So humility in that time, is going to others that are decision-impacted and admitting that we made the wrong choice. Now, there is a burden to being wrong. I'm sure we've all felt that. But I want to propose that actually the burden of being right can be a heavier burden to carry. Because here's why. There's the, it carries with it the temptation to hold over somebody else's head. Hey, remember uh, when we disagreed earlier and we did what you wanted to do? How'd that work out? Yeah, we're doing it my way this time. Or that as you shared with somebody, hey, this might not be the best choice, and they come back and they, things kind of played out the way you anticipated, that as you're listening... To not just have, I told you so, come flying out. So again, humility is thinking of ourselves less. And we get to see it formed, start being formed more and more when we desire for others to experience the good things that we've experienced, how we handle correction, and then how we handle being wrong and right. Now, that's not an exhaustive list, but I think it's probably some of the most common areas in our lives where we can see this. So at the beginning, I said humility is the true ascent. I'm going to shorten this a little bit in the name of time, but the only exhortation in this psalm that we see is to put our hope in God. In humility, we meet the Lord because he is humble. Have you ever thought about that? That in God's nature is actually to be humble. 
because he often honors our desires and requests even when, it's, when we don't want anything to do with him. Have you realized the Lord has to hide himself because he doesn't force himself on anybody? If the Lord were to reveal himself to everybody, those who want nothing to do with him wouldn't have anywhere to hide. The last time I, I spoke, I shared something from the, the great divorce. I'm going to do it again. I don't know why these have come up because I haven't even read this in years. But um, there's a, a passage in there where it says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All those that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. And the reason is because it takes humility to acknowledge our need for God. By way of, of practice, um, there's something called daily examine. It looks like examine, but it's examine because that's what Randy said, and I trust him. <laughs> and if you're interested, I'm going to share a little bit about this. If you're interested, we do have cards on the table here in the back. Please take one with you as a, as a practice to use in your time with the Lord. But this is a great way to look at specific sins or cares or anxieties that we have. Because what we do is as a time going before the Lord and asking him to search our hearts and to reveal what's beneath a behavior. Because we all have behaviors that we don't want. But there's oftentimes something beneath that that's leading to that behavior. And this prayer of examine, uh, examine leads us to be able to see what that is. Because I think oftentimes, as I said, we, we focus on the behavior, but when the root is exposed, the fruit becomes less appealing. I had a friend uh, years ago that I met with was struggling with a particular sin. He just he wanted it to be gone. He just said, if this was gone, I would be so content. It was noble, noble for him to not want to, want to deal with this. I wish I knew about this daily examine then because I would have told him, no, no, it's not about that behavior. There's something beneath it. How do you get beneath that? We are not in the business of sin or behavior management, but heart change. And that only comes through grace and God's spirit working in us. So through this practice, it gives space for the Lord to bring to light things that need to be dealt with. So this is just a tool in that process. So as we close, a reminder that humility is the true ascent. God is in his nature, is a humble God who gives grace to the humble. And our path toward humility is to be 
desiring humility, seeking comfort, and then putting our hope in the Lord. Uh, at this time, if uh, Michelle and, any, and the ministry team, anybody on the ministry team who's here can come forward, we're going to close um, with our ministry time. Uh, this week, we have personal prayer art. Um, so if you want to um, receive a prophetic word through through a picture, I invite you to um, head over to these tables on this side and sit, sit down with one of the artists there. Every Sunday, we have um, a pre-service meeting where everybody that's serving in various capacities is here kind of talk about uh, the service, and we also give an opportunity for people to share what they think the Lord might might be saying and, and some of the things that came out of that, I feel like, are for us this morning. One of them, uh, one of the things that was said um, from David Bradbury was he saw um, a couple of angels at the parking lot and they were holding a banner and the banner said love. And uh, as it talks about in the Song of Songs, it says that his banner over us is love. And so I think some here are struggling to believe that God's banner over you is one of love. Uh, Kara talked about um, God's given each of us authority. Different areas in our lives that he's given us authority and that it's time to take up that authority. Now, authority and humility are not at odds with one another. All authority was given to Jesus. As I said, he was the most humble person who ever lived. And so if God's given you authority and calling you to, to step into that, it's actually pride if we're refusing to do it. Because we're telling God we know better than him and that that's not for us. And the last thing, for those who feel like they're in the midst of a battle right now, if anything in your life just feels like a battle, the reminder that it belongs to the Lord. Whatever that battle is, it's not yours, it's the Lord's. So if any of those things resonate for you, please come forward and get prayer. Our teams would also love to pray for anything else, any emotional, physical, spiritual need that you might have. We'd love to, to pray for you. Our team will be here and music will be playing if you want to just sit for a minute, but I invite you to go to one of the personal prayer art artists or come forward for prayer.
again, if you want prayer, our, our prayer teams will be here for a while. If you just want to hang out, you're welcome to do so. If you need to go get your kids or head out, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you rest. Have a great week.